All right, good morning. How are we doing today? We'll go ahead and get started. It's good to be back. Thank you, Errol, for, for jumping in last week, doing a good job. I got stuck in, uh, has anybody noticed that air travel is not what it used to be? I mean, <laughs> it's just not reliable, it seems like. I, I, got a, I got a message that our flight was delayed and then, then they just canceled it. And say, well, I guess I'm just not going home. And then the, the next flight was two days later. It's a very helpless, uh, it's a very first world problem. Like I've heard comedians talk about how you're flying in a, a metal cylinder, you know, 40,000 feet in the air. We're complaining about how it's 30 minutes late. But uh, so anyway, got stuck and uh, got back on uh, Tuesday. So that was a first for me. But then I had a cousin coming into town and, and his plane was supposed to land at 8.30 in Memphis uh, Thursday. And he touched down at 1.20 a.m. So that was made for an interesting night. So I had a weird uh, plane travel. For those of you who travel a ton, I don't fly much at all. You probably can relate a lot more uh, to what I'm talking about. So um, anyway, I didn't make a uh, presentation today, so you'll just have to forgive me for that. I just uh, did not get that done. So we'll just have to talk today. So we're still talking about the parables. Last week, he talked about the prodigal son, the lost son. We talked about the four types of soul before that. And today we're going to talk about the uh, hidden treasure, the pearl of great value. So um, a parable is a real life story from which a few basic truths can be drawn. Most of the parables have an encouragement. They also have a warning. So we want to kind of see the encouragement, see the warning in both. And um, we want to come to these parables with ears to hear. We talk about how ears to hear is kind of like saying you have faith. If you have faith in something, then you have ears to hear. So um, the scripture that we talked about was in Hebrews where it said, uh, you believe that God exists and you believe that basically he means good for you. So we want to come to these passages and these stories saying, number one, we're going to believe that Jesus is telling us the truth. We're going to believe Jesus is who he says he is. And we're going to believe that he means good for us. He, when he says things that might be hard, we're going to believe that he actually means good for us. So let me read, uh, it's a short passage, I'm going to read, this is from Matthew 13. So in between, Matthew 13 is also where the parable of the sower, parable of the weeds, and then the parable of the mustard seed, mustard seed and the leaven. Uh, we didn't talk about those, but basically a small seed hits, uh, lands on the ground and it grows into this tree, and that's what... Um, that's how the kingdom will grow. It'll seem very small at first, and then it'll grow and grow, which obviously happened. It started with a small group of people in the Middle East, and now it's spread all over the world. So uh, at the end of Matthew 13, <clears throat> he tells the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value. So this is Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, 
he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So somebody tell me, uh, tell me uh, some good conspiracy theories. What's a good conspiracy theory? Famous conspiracy theories. We didn't That's a good one. That's actually what I was looking for. Not planted. That's a good one. What's the other one? Some other ones. The other big one, right, is JFK, right? There are lots of COVID conspiracies that I don't want to talk about. Uh, any other good ones? Flat Earth. Flat Earth. Seems to be disproven, but there are a lot of people that hang in there, you know. Elvis is still alive. Elvis is alive. How old would he be now? Probably, what, late 80s? 90, something like that? He'd be 88, okay, good. JFK and Elvis, maybe they're together, you know. Sasquatch. You know, uh, sometimes I get, you know, the recommended videos you get on Instagram and YouTube and I start getting Sasquatch videos. I don't know what that says about me. Uh, okay, so the one that I wanted to talk about was the moon. And I want you to imagine that we're having a debate about whether we landed on the moon. And, and I'm on one side. I've done all the internet research. Like I've read all the good stuff about why we did not land on the moon and the whole Stanley Kubrick uh, story that he shot it and the reflection in the mirror of the helmet and all that. And on the other side, you have Neil Armstrong is debating me, right? And I'm throwing all my evidence at him. And what's he gonna say every time? You have no idea what you're talking about. Like I, I was there, I got out of the thing, I walked on the moon. And that's really his only, that's all he has to say. And at the end of the day, you just have to, you know, he's not going to say, no, here's why your conspiracy theory is wrong. He's just going to say, no, I walked on the moon, and it's not a conspiracy. That's what Jesus is doing when he's on earth. We, we, we like to think that Jesus' kind of worldview, we're just going to put it on a shelf next to all the other worldviews and kind of debate which one is better. But Jesus is saying, no, I am God, and I'm telling you the truth. He's not having a, necessarily a debate. He's telling you something with authority. So when he says that the kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything in your life, he's saying that with authority. He's, he's, not, he's not speculating about whether that's true. He, he knows and he's telling you uh, that that's true. It's like if you went back in time and you were there when the uh, Native American tribe sold Manhattan for beads, like you would say, no, don't do that. Uh, Manhattan is worth a lot more than those beads. And you would be speaking with authority, right? You'd be saying, what you put value on doesn't actually have value that you think it has. And that's what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything else you have in your life. And so a relationship with Jesus is more valuable than anything else in your life. That's what he's saying in these parables, and he's saying that with authority. <clears throat> so let's just go through the passages. Uh, the hidden treasure. So was the man looking for treasure? Not necessarily. It's, it's more like he stumbled across the treasure in a field. And then what did he do? He stopped what he was doing. He sold everything he had. 
and he bought the field. Now, did he do that reluctantly? Well, he was like, I'm not sure what I should do. No, it said he did it in joy. He did it in his joy. Because he knew, like he wasn't getting a bad deal. You know, we think a lot of times, we think our faith, sometimes we act like it's kind of a bad deal. Like it's taking things away from you. That's the way it's presented in our culture, you know. But it's not a bad deal. Like it's a fact that the treasure in the field is worth more than everything else he had. And then uh, the difference in the pearls, what's different about the merchant and the fine pearls versus the person who stumbles across the treasure in the field? He's looking for it, right? So the merchant is actually searching for the pearls. He's searching for pearls. And he finds a pearl of great value and he goes and sells everything he has to take the pearl. Now again, he doesn't do this because he's been tricked or because he's confused. He does it because the pearl is worth more than everything that he has. So he is happy to sell everything that he has and um, buy the pearl. So how do we, you know, what does this mean? How do we, how do we look at this? Um, I was a, an accountant in a previous life for about 18 months. And one of my jobs was to audit a co-op. I think it was in Senatobia. It was somewhere around there. And so I literally was walking through, they, had, they handed me an inventory list. This is the glamour of, account, of being an accountant. And it said, we have like eight hammers, and I would go to the rack, and I would count the hammers, and I would check off. You do actually have eight hammers, you know. And I was doing that in the store, and the guy stopped me, and he said, look, man, there's a warehouse out here with fertilizer in it that's worth like 10 times everything in the store. It's basically like you're wasting your time counting hammers because the stuff out here is worth so much more. Now he wasn't saying that out of spite. He was just stating a fact, right? He's not trying to trick me. He's saying, that's just reality. The stuff in the warehouse is worth a lot more than the stuff in the store. And that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is telling us the kingdom of heaven is worth more than everything else in your life. What Jesus, this, this, what Jesus is offering to the world is more important than anything else in your life. So how do we, you know, it's easy to understand that in your head. How do we get to that point? Because that's not, uh, I don't know about you, but I certainly don't live as if that's true. You know. Um, so how can you tell, if someone places a very high value on something, how can you tell? What do you do to things that you have high value, that have a high value? You spend a lot of time on it, for sure, that's one. Somebody else said something? You put it in a prominent place, yep, you display it sometimes. Do what? You protect it. Sometimes you put it in a safe where you can't see it. That's all good examples of what else do you do? Something you protect. Something you value. You insure it. You know, insurance, I was thinking about insurance this week. How would we live if there was no insurance? I don't know. It's, insurance in America is an interesting thing. Um, the whole idea of insurance, you know. Anyway. Um, what else, what else do you do? Something you value. It's where your money goes. It's where your money goes? You talk about it. Yep. Nobody has to tell me on Sunday morning, hey, make sure before you leave church, talk about the football game. Right? Nobody has to remind me. And when you talk about the football game, here's some strategies. 
start the conversation with this question. You know, nobody has to do that. It just happens, right? Um, because I value it, and I know the people I'm talking to value it. So a uh, good example of this, we were at the beach earlier this year in uh, Orange Beach with Anna's parents, and we went out, uh, Anna and I went out. We ended up eating supper really early. I don't know if anybody else is like this, but we eat supper really early to avoid the crowd to where it's almost not supper, you know? <laughs> but uh, you end up getting home way before the sun goes down. So we, we got to the beach and there was a wedding and that was really kind of neat to watch. After they, after they said their vows, everybody clapped, you know, everybody was watching. But then the, the waves were really high and this is really unusual in Orange Beach, but there was a couple of guys surfing, which is rare because usually the waves are not big enough to surf. And there was an older guy that obviously had been surfing for a long time. He looked like he lived on the beach. You, had, uh, you could just tell he'd been in the sun. And you could tell he loved to surf. And he was, he was able to actually surf. And uh, at one point he was taking a break. And a teenage kid walked up to him. And obviously the question was, you know, what's it like to surf? Because, you know, nobody surfs. And uh, most of the people there are there on vacation. And I mean, five minutes later, the kid is standing on the board, on the sand, and he's like showing him how to stand. And then five minutes after that, he's in the water with the kid. And the kid is on the board, and he pushes, he, he tells him exactly what to do, and he pushes the board, and the kid stands up on a little wave and rides to the sand. And the, everybody clapped. And I thought, I just wish I loved anything as much as that guy loves surfing. Like that's a great example of, you don't have to ask if he values that. Because it just kind of came out of it. Somebody came and wanted to talk to him, and the next thing you know, he's in the ocean with this kid he's never met, showing him how to surf. And the kid is surfing. We rode on the elevator with the, with the yeah, that, that learned how to surf briefly. So that's a great example of how when something you love, that's what comes out of you. The, the question is, why is it not obvious? Like most things that have value in your life, it's obvious, like you don't have to be convinced of it. It's obvious, whether it's your house or a car, or if you see two different cars, you know one of them is really expensive and one of them's not. Like you can just, it's obvious. Why is it that our faith, so many times, it's not obvious to us? Why, why, why is it something that we have to talk about and read about? Why does it not just come naturally? To think that. That's right. We value things the world values too much. We're sinners, right? We're wired to value things. We're wired to chase after things. Um, what would you? Do y'all ever have these conversations that I'm? I'm sorry if somebody may have actually lived through this. I'm certainly not making light of your house burning down. But do you ever think about what would you grab if your house was on fire? And, and what's the first thing you would do if your house was on fire? What are you going to make sure first? Photo albums. The people. The people. The people that are in the photos. We're assuming that we've got the people out, right? But the people are in a, kind of like a totally different category, right? There's the people and then everything else. And then maybe the pets, right? Uh, 
So photo albums, right? Why photo albums? Irreplaceable, right? You can't replace them. Uh, what else might you grab? You said the car. That's a good one. Your what? Your cell phone, you're right. You know, when you want to burn your house down on purpose, you leave the cars in the garage. Um, that's actually a thing that people do. So, because uh, you could say, I mean, I didn't even get the cars out of there, you know? Well, I would never do this on purpose. Um, okay, so, so when, you, when the house is on fire, you immediately start to assign value to things. Now imagine if like a child, again, we're assuming the child is gonna safely leave the house, right? The child is in the house, what are they gonna grab? Say what? The teddy bear, the doll, right? They may grab something that basically has, it's pretty easy to replace, and it doesn't really have that much value. They could walk right past the, you know, million dollar painting and pick up a toy that you could buy the exact same thing at Walmart, you know, for $30. It's because they don't understand the value of things. And um, so we kind of do the same thing. We're, we're like that child, we, see, we don't see the value in things. We see value in some things too much, a lot of things too much. And then we don't see the value in other things that we should. And it's actually, I think it's because if your house is not on fire, you don't have to decide, right? If your house is not on fire, you can kind of quote unquote have it all. You just don't make those choices. You have the things that you value and things you don't value. And over time, you don't even think about it. Like if, you, if, if you've never lived, if you've lived through that, I'm sure you think about it all the time. But if you've, I've never lived through something like that. It doesn't cross my mind that the house might burn down. I need to think about where, what am I gonna grab, you know? Um, and I think that's what happens to us. Our, our house is not on fire, and so we're not making these uh, judgments on things that we value. Um, the Babylon Bee, if you're familiar with the Babylon Bee, don't agree with everything the Babylon Bee uh, says, but they say it's kind of like The Onion. It's a satirical um, website, more of a Twitter feed. But, but they, they said... Uh, Man not sure he wants to go to heaven having lived in America. And there's some truth to that, right? What did uh, what's Hank Williams Jr. say? If heaven's not a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. Heaven is not going to be like Dixie, I can promise you that. Uh, but we, we live, I mean, I ate a meal this weekend that's like better than anything Solomon ate for sure. And we live like it's amazing the comforts that we have. So we have to be careful that we don't have other things that get in uh, to that balance. Because what do you have to, you know, if you had a child that said, uh, Walker's about to go to college, if he said, I want to be a medical doctor, I want to get a PhD in uh, 17th century literature, I want to be an accountant and a lawyer, what would you say? Good luck, right? Well, you'd say, you can't do all those things. You're going to have to pick, right? The, the, the guy that surfs has made choices in his life so that he can surf. And you can't, you know, the Bible says you can't serve two masters. And so we have a tendency, when we place such a high value on the things of the world, 
it has a tendency to squeeze out our faith. And that happens all the time. But the question is, why wouldn't we place a high value on our faith? How do we get from here to there? Why would we not place a high value on our faith? So uh, Tim Keller preached a sermon about this passage, and he talked about uh, what he focused on is our need to belong. What, what Jesus is saying, uh, there's obviously lots of reasons you could say that it is a hidden treasure, your faith, your relationship with Jesus. He talks about the need to belong. And basically he says, uh, the need to belong is a basic need like hunger. It's, it's no different than uh, hunger or thirst or fear. His example he used was when, when an orphan is in a story, you know, orphans are, so many good stories have an orphan in them. Nobody has to explain that the orphan is sad. Like it's sad when someone is taken away from their family or when their family is taken away from them. We know that's sad. Nobody has to tell you that's sad because they've lost that home base. They've lost the, that uh, connection, uh, that, that place where they belong. We've all felt this, right? You've all walked into a room and you, for whatever reason, you felt like, uh, do you belong or not belong? Rush is about to start. You know, what a, an example of how traumatic it can be to go through and then feel like you don't belong and feel like you're being told, you know, we don't want you. Um, and what Jesus is saying is, you belong to me. Um, he's saying in... Uh, bunch of examples. Acts 27, Paul is shipwrecked and starving, and, and they feel like they're all going to die. And Paul stands up and says, we're not going to die because the God that <clears throat> has appeared to me to whom I belong. He says, the God to whom I belong. Romans 1, 6 says, those called to belong to Jesus Christ. Romans 7, 4, you, it, it says, you belong to another, one who has risen from the dead. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 it talks about uh, being raised from the dead and putting the final enemy under his feet, that's death, for those that belong to Jesus Christ. I don't really think about death much, you know? Uh, I, my dad is 84. He probably thinks about it a lot more than me, right? Uh, he, he would, I can remember him making an excuse to go see an old buddy, just to go talk to him. Uh, just to kind of see where he, as he would say, kind of where he stands with his faith. Because why is he doing that? Because he goes to funerals constantly. You know, he gets emails constantly that, you know, Billy Ray Adams passed away, you know, a couple weeks ago. That, that's just, he gets those constantly. So he thinks about it all the time. And what Jesus is saying is I've actually defeated death. I've defeated everything in your life. All the things that come into your life, including death, cannot take you away from me. And he's not saying it, you know, back to the Neil Armstrong example. He's not saying it as if it's a debate that he's having or that he wonders about it. He's telling you that with authority. Now, what happened to, uh, famously, what happened to Peter? Peter did what before Jesus uh, was killed? He denied Jesus, right? What, what happened to Peter? What do you think happened to Peter? Because it was just not long ago before that that he said, basically, I'll just go, go with you to the bitter end. What do you think happened when he's standing in that crowd? Fear, right? 
What's he afraid of? Yep, afraid of being associated with Jesus. Afraid of the crowd. Afraid, yeah, afraid of the girl by the fire. What happened with the disciples that gave them so much confidence going forward, though? It was all about Jesus, and, and Jesus actually came back from the dead. And when he came back from the dead, he just put his thumbprint on it and said, everything I've said is true. And, you know, uh, that was like their, the, the stamp that he's putting on it is that everything he's saying is true. And when he says that his kingdom is more valuable than anything in your life, he's saying with that kind of, uh, that kind of confidence. So what is holding us back, though? It's like, again, this is something that I understand in my head, but I'm going to walk out the door, and I don't know if it's going to affect my life. What did you say, Doug? So we have tangible versus I'm not sure. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. What about the, that the promise is actually for you now? That's really hard to understand. Like your life could totally fall apart. But Jesus is saying, no, what I'm offering you is better than all of that stuff. Even if your life falls apart. And I think I would just say that's something that we should want to explore. Like if that is true that your life can fall apart, your house can be on fire, and Jesus is saying, I'm offering you something, you belong to me, and it's better than all of those things. And it actually doesn't matter, all of those things can happen to you, and you will still say that it's better. You know, the disciples, when they're being martyred, they didn't say, man, I'm so sad that I did this. No, they still have that joy. How in the world is that possible? That's available to us. Do we, are we interested in that? <laughs> you know, are we interested in that? Because the great lie that we're told, sadly, is that your house is not on fire. And then it, everything just burns up, right? And uh, you, don't have to, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to make these choices. You don't have to ponder these things because nothing's gonna happen. The house is not on fire. Just enjoy your life, you know? Um, but again, that's the warning side, but I, I want you to hear the encouragement. I want you to hear that Jesus is literally offering, when, when he looks at the rich young ruler, like we talked about two weeks ago, and he says, okay, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. He's not making a bad deal with the guy. He's making a good deal with him. He's not offering, you know, he's not trying to rip him off. Like he's offering him something that's more valuable than that. So what does that actually mean? I've told this story before, so I apologize if you remember it, but it's a good story, you know. Uh, my older brother, Will, is a doctor here in town. I love when people don't know that. 
it happened to me the other day. They were like, you're Will Dabbs' brother. And I was like, yep. Uh, they'd like me better when that happens. You know? Everybody loves Will. So Will is a family practice doctor. And uh, one of the best things about having a doctor in the family, especially when you have kids, is you don't have to wait in the lobby. You go through the back door. And every time, uh, not so much now, because it's been a, you know, 15 years of doing this, um, you walk in the back door, and you have, it's kind of like a maze. You, you're like back around the offices and things, and you bump into somebody, and their first thought is like, call the police, right? Who is this person back here? What are you doing? And I have to just be like, I'm Will's brother. And they go, oh, you're the guy with the sweet wife. That's, that's what they usually think. Uh, I love your wife. She's so nice. Um, so Clayton, I took Clayton. He was young. He was not feeling good. And that happened. And um, I don't remember what was wrong with him, but he got sick. He threw up in the bathroom. And, um, you know, that's awkward because it's like now we've kind of messed up the place, you know. And the next thing I know, Will is cleaning up the bathroom. Um, and that's what it means to belong to Jesus right there. Is that Clayton goes in there. He doesn't know what's going on. He just knows he's sick. Right? And he's being taken care of. And, and somebody's cleaning up his mess. The boss is cleaning up his mess. Because he's my brother. And that's the only thing that matters. And so when you're, you know, if you just come to Jesus and say, I'm sick. I don't know what's wrong, but I'm sick and I'm feeling gross. He comes and cleans up your mess. And it's not because, and then he puts your stamp, you know, there's nothing that can separate Clayton from that. There's nothing he did. It's just based on, he's my son, I'm Will's brother. And that's the relationship we have with Jesus. There's nothing that can separate you from it. And that's actually something that's more valuable than everything that the world has to offer. Because it does not go away. It never goes away. Um, and we can tell stories like that. We still, we face the dysfunction in our life. We, we face failures. We, we face disappointments. And we still are just not feeling it. Or we're just kind of on cruise control. That's why I feel most of the time. You're just kind of on cruise control through life. You're just not thinking about it. You're thinking about, what do I got to do tomorrow? What am I going to do this afternoon? Um, I think this is what the Bible says, is talking about when it says like Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? God doesn't promise you're going to win the lottery. Somebody won the lottery in California this week, a billion dollars. He does not promise you're going to win the lottery. But if you pray... God, I want to understand what this means. I, I want to, in my life, I want to know why Jesus is better than everything else in life. That is a prayer that God will answer. And that, he's promising to answer that prayer. But the question is, do we want that? Is that something that we want to 
find out more about, to explore? Is that something that we want to uh, ask God for? Because that is a prayer that God will answer. Um, which is why the final verse of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross says, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And so my prayer for myself and for you guys, for everybody, would be that we would see that. Because Jesus is not, again, he's telling us the truth. He's telling us that what I'm offering you is worth more than everything else that you have in life. And so do we, would we want to explore that some? It's a little early. Any thoughts, comments about that? Just constantly remind yourself of that. The scary thing is, what does God use a lot of times to remind us? Struggle. Suffering. Yep. Which is, maybe we could rejoice in our suffering if we saw it leading us in that way. You know? Any other thoughts? We'll just end early. Okay, thank you guys. I'm going to pray for us. And we got a few more minutes before worship starts. Father in heaven, uh, we come before you this morning and we confess that we, uh, we don't understand necessarily how what you're offering us could be worth more than everything else in our lives. And I pray that you would open our eyes uh, to see that as you promised. You promised you would, uh, if we asked, that, that you would uh, give that to us. And I pray that you would, that we would see that our, that, that Lord Jesus, our relationship with you is more than anything else this world has to offer. And I pray that it would spill out of us in our interactions with other people, with our families, and in the community. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.